Well, first, uh, I would just say congratulations for your you and your wife. Thank you so much. Uh, first, you get some kind of unexpected uh, uh, condition, like uh, you're accepted as a, a resident, legally resident. Yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've I, gotten permanent I think, uh, I know it's a very difficult situation for dissident and for exile, person in exile. I still hold Chinese uh, passport. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, I, even yeah. after 12 years in the United States and many, many years in Europe, you know, in Germany, you know, I can get easily get uh, whatever the kind of thing. But uh, I still, you know, it's very difficult. It's almost like some choice you don't want to make, but you have to, you know, push you into that condition. I, I know how difficult that can be. So I congratulate your safe. Safety is most important. And you're happy with your wife and the upcoming children. And the thank she, you. He's going when will be the birthday? Uh, uh, we we don't know exactly yet, but it should okay. be right around the new year. Yeah. Okay, because mm -hmm. next year will be uh, year of ox. That will be the exactly <laughs> same year as my son. He's twelve oh, years wow. old. Yeah, but it's you know once you have a baby, it grows really fast and give you so much. <laughs> I'll give you a tremendous joy. You will never, never understand. You know, it's so much because I cannot go back to see my mom. He's 87. And mm -hmm. I, I think you have the same situation with your father or stuff. So, yeah, this is one of the things when you talk about uh, the changing of residence and exile, how it works, the separation. Um, the thing for me is uh, people get confused. You know, they, they think it's like... Um, I've decided to like become Russian and forget that I'm American or something like that. But I'm not giving up uh, my American citizenship. I'm not any less American uh, tomorrow than I than I am today. And I think actually, I'd like to think it's the same for you because the government has a problem. Uh, doesn't mean that you have a problem. Like it doesn't make uh, you less Chinese to think differently than the Communist Party. I would argue that actually makes you uh, more someone of the mm -hmm. country, of the nation, and separate from the government. But so many people today, they think of yeah. as the government and the nation as the same. Uh, but yeah. I think they're, they're separate. You know, in, in so many places, we see governments um, that hold different politics than the people. And the people... Uh, there, there's two problems that we have generally. Um, one is that the people don't know what the government is doing. And then there's a second problem that people do know what the government is doing, but they either don't care, they don't think it's serious, or they do care and they don't think they can do anything about it. They don't think they have the power to change it. And this is something that I wanted to ask you because I think it's really interesting. You know, so much of the the Chinese perspective is not, um, you don't really hear it in uh, Western media because, you know, the Chinese state, the Communist Party, they put forth these voices that are just completely pro-government. They explain away the most terrible things. And then you have uh, the voices of people like you who have made uh, enormous sacrifices uh, to say something different, to say something honest and independent and true. Um, but at the same time, people like you and me, who have 
uh, faced so many consequences for saying what we've seen and what's actually going on that people begin to think of us as, as not normal, as separate uh, from like the average person, the ordinary person. And what's missing in that conversation is what the average person in China thinks. So uh, what I want to ask you, based on my experience in the United States, in this surveillance scandal in 2013, where we saw the United States government was breaking the law, violating the Constitution, its basic principles, to spy on people in the United States and around the world um, in ways that it wasn't allowed to do, but they still did it anyway because it gave them power. Uh, and then you ask, you know, you think about uh, what all these political figures, these elite figures think, and then they ask what all these media figures think. But somewhere in the middle of that, what's lost is what the ordinary person thought. And I've come away with this uh, feeling uh, because the, all the elite figures say, Ordinary people don't care, but when I go and speak at universities, when I speak to normal people, when I when I have a talk in private, uh, everybody cares. The problem is they don't feel like they can change it. They, they feel like they don't have the power to change it because the government decides these things for them. The legislatures, even after elections, decide things for them. And our elections, you know, where, you know in places in the world where we have elections, are increasingly becoming uh, not a choice of who you're for out of all these people, but who you're against. And people vote against keeping the bad guy out of office instead of putting a good guy in office. So I, I guess I would ask, in you know this different setting uh, in China and then broadening out to the world, because I think your art, uh, a lot of this is trying to help people comprehend scale and, and think about what's actually happening, is... Um, do you share this experience where you feel like people actually do care? They get angry when they have the conversation. They feel something when they have the conversation. They're bothered by it, but they don't know what to do or um, they don't feel like they can do something. And, and how do you think about that? I think uh, this is uh, several challenges here. If you talk about in general, people, we have to trust people, it's just like human beings like you and me, and they know what's right or wrong, you know, this is a moral, basic moral background, or maybe some religious beliefs or background. But since people has no tool to exercise or no language, so basically they never tend to have a language. So that makes them feel powerless because the language, the vocabulary, you know, who is going to listening and the, you know, the mainstream are so powerful. They are, <laughs> they are monsters, you know, they are because they have the language because they have the profit. They, you know, they are, they are very clearly a profit seeking, very greedy and very, it's just like monsters. But the rest of the people, they just trying to keep up the job and, uh, you know, have a little family happiness and uh, trying to be secure and not to catch the disease or, or right. not to, you know, or they played by politicians to hate someone or to, to forcefully to choose another, which not necessarily is better. You know, it's, it's just some, someone uh, who can, but they are same, basically they are same. All the, <laughs> all the powers have the exact same nature 
China or or or, or United States. You know, they are, they have so much similarities than differences. The differences is only for their argument. So, so then you very clearly you have a, a powerless people or silent um, majority, and you have very powerful, uh, you know, corporations uh, or elite or or even uh, medias, the most medias mm -hmm. um, is lying. You know, they're lying sometimes by, um, like in China, they, they just clearly uh, distort the information, but also in the West, they just uh, leading you with some information and not to carve up the argument and not mm -hmm. to show certain informations. That's also, it's a, it's a, it's a line, you know, if you don't show the total truth, that's lying. So individual like us, of course, you you choose this very difficult path to, to seek for the absolute truth, so-called absolute truth, but you not know, factual, to be factual on certain matters, or even to think this is what benefits the society. The benefit of society will not take it that, that easily, you know, because uh, how, how, you know, people only worried about the next month's rent or the, which, you know, uh, those things. So, but still, I think uh, we are living under the belief we are part of them. You know, we, we have that kind of responsibility and the belief. You say, we, I'm just part of you. I'm just a little bit privileged come to, to, to come up with vocabularies and have this kind of uh, conversation and, uh, and the talk and, uh, you know, and I, I believe people watching it would understand. But of course, uh, you know, life is short. You know, we did, we, we did what we believe is right. So, you know, that's the biggest uh, gift we give to ourselves. And it's, we are very privileged in that way, you know, to, to, to speak the truth. So I'd, I'd ask you, um, when I think about, you know, um, my interactions with uh, journalists and all the years since. Um, one of the questions that came up uh, repeatedly is, like, why me? Um, why did I do something when there's, you know, 30,000 other people at the NSA uh, who didn't do things? And, you know, I've had a lot of uh, answers in a lot of different ways that I've thought about it over the years. Um, not everybody knew all the things that I knew of the people who knew all the things that I knew, because the offices that I had worked in, because the experiences that I've had, because of the accesses I could have, I could see new parts of, you know, what this part of the government was doing, this part of the government. And not everybody shared that, right? So it's already a smaller group that can do this. Uh, and then of that smaller group, um, there's an even smaller group of those who actually plausibly could get this information out of the building. And these are largely workers in technology, you know, who can do this kind of thing. And then there's the people in technology who actually have the training, like I was at the CIA, who think they could, you know, get it out of the building and not get noticed. And then, you know, people who could talk to journalists. And so it's a smaller and smaller group. And, you know, there's this question of, all right, was it really just me or were there more people who could have done it? Um, and didn't do it because they were afraid, or this, that, or the other. And I think there were more people who could do it, uh, and they were just afraid to do it, or they didn't care that much to do it, because I was afraid to do it, and I didn't want to do it. Uh, and I waited a really long time until I actually 
did do it. And so uh, maybe, maybe I waited too long, actually. Um, and then I talked to journalists, and you know, the story goes on from there. But for, for you, um, when you think about the fact that, you know, you, you've been pretty successful um, and in a lot of uh, power structures in government, um, particularly when you're not dealing with national security agencies and, you know, these big police states, uh, they've got two ways of trying to keep people silent. Uh, one is fear, uh, <clears throat> that there will be some consequence, there will be some punishment. And the other one uh, is inducement, where they try to reward you, they try to, you know, make you more successful. They try to buy you out, basically. Um, how is it that with your experience, um, you found the courage to not only speak against the system, but to continuously do it, to, to keep going? Yeah, that's always the question. People would always ask, why you care about this? You know, you come from a, or that kind of family. You know, my family is uh, first generation of a revolutionary, you know, uh, as uh, colleagues with uh, Chairman Mao, Zhou Enlai, same generation, uh, you know, a little bit younger, but at uh, the same effort. You know, he's a very, the most patriotic poet of China. And uh, also when I move out of China, I start to pay attention to, you know, the refugee situation globally. That's basically for myself learning and study about the global politics. I don't want just to be, you know, named as a decorative, uh, strange names of anti-communist. You know, I'm, I'm not on just anti-communist. Communist has not much for me to anti for. I am anti-authoritarian. I'm anti any place which not put humanity as a, a issue. You know, it's just uh, you know which against me in every aspect. So I'm privileged because my father was exiled when the year I was born. So I'm I'm very uh, I know what's it like when he has to uh, do the hard labor in Xinjiang. You know, in the re-education camp for 20 years forbidden to write and uh, to clean the public toilets and uh, for years I have to go with them to you know I was 10 15 years old and uh, to go through uh, to see his daily job to clean the farmers uh, toilets you know as a punishment so you start to to have this impression about uh, humanity about uh, how how wrong the power can be and how blind blindly the folks you know the the basically the public can be you know mm -hmm. they are they i you know it's it's very dark long tunnel and uh, to going through that uh, it's not enough i'm artist i'm architect i have been uh, quite you know well doing very well but at the same time i'm not interested in because it doesn't really uh, reflects who I am. Till 2005 is very late. I start to get on uh, state, uh, you know, uh, internet because it convinced me. Said you're so famous and have so much opinion. <laughs> you know, we set up a, a blog for you. So I once I got on the blog, I realized this is this is for me is heaven because there's no chance individual <laughs> ever in China can speak out. You know. 
But mm-hmm. I suddenly realized daily I can have a thousand, thousand followers replace my article. Then I become crazy. So I become crazy during the Chinese <laughs> Olympic time, you know, the 2008. And many things happened. But by 2009, I already have a physical, uh, um, how do you say, conflicts with the local police. Mm-hmm. So the rest story is... Uh, it become normal, but as you said, you once you're, you you really look at it, it's still very rewarding. Even there in the exile situation, you really look at what we have done or what I, I did. I did something wrong, or or you know, then you you get the total picture. Most people not even had a one step. They are sitting there when they're born, and they 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 never afraid to make one step because the whole education system told them don't do it. If you do it, you will lose everything. So, so we we made the step. That step leading to the second step and third step. I think that's that's how you make a journey, and the people I, I believe that journey is important. You know, that's life itself is is a. Uh, it's yeah. It's an announcement of a life. Yeah. You know, you, you you say a lot of things that that resonate with me. There, um, one of the things that I think is interesting is you said, uh, you know, your 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 politics are less. It's not about being against you know communism or anything specifically. It's anti-authoritarianism, and this is something that in the United States and a, a lot of Western countries, I think, has actually been forgotten. Um, because we, uh, whether it's on the left or the right, uh, we're normally talking about center left and, and center right <laughs> of politics. And this means, you know, it's more of the structural, institutional, uh, corporate left or right. Uh, they're very interested in the making of rules and the declaration of rules uh, and the systemization of rules that they are writing, right? Whether they're on the left or the right, uh, they all agree the government tells you what to do, you follow it. Um, As opposed to the more traditional liberal idea where we have the very fewest rules necessary for society to sort of continue peaceably. Now, one of the criticisms that I faced uh, tremendously within my government, and I still face from critics, is, uh, okay, whether or not what Snowden did uh, was right or wrong, Uh, Whether or not what the government did was right or wrong, uh, whether what the government did was moral or immoral or legal or illegal, what Snowden did was against the law. And so there's kind of this replacement with the of the individual's idea Mm -hmm. of right and wrong, uh, society's idea of right and wrong, with the rule of law. And we understand the rule of law. We think the rule of law is a good thing generally, Um, but when the rule of law spread so far, uh, and the application of law, the creation of law by politics um, begins to narrow what you can do so much that now speech is against the law, even when it's saying something that the public needs to hear, should have heard. Uh, It never should have been secret in the first place. How do you think about this idea, um, even if there is majority support, um, that things can be made illegal uh, that maybe should not be possible to make illegal. And like when you say anti-authoritarian, 
what do you mean that what are the limits of authority? What are the limits of lawmaking um, in a society? Where should they be? And how should ordinary people um, who are doing everything they can within the law to dissent or object but can't achieve anything, how, how should they um, think about this conflict, this tension? The authoritarian character is they always think law is on their side. That's that's <laughs> number one character. And they always have a last sentence. So with that kind of arrogance, um, against the law is revolutionary. Because this is every law in the history has been changed. Law is made by people, very often are made by privileged uh, a system that system is self-protecting and uh, you know it's no way you can have development not to against the law in scientists every new research or you know all the scientists all effort is against the scientific law you know it's it's trying to break what is has been established you know but <laughs> in the political situation that law can last 100 years you know, yeah. or, 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 you know, they use that to crash all those uh, individual mind, uh, meaningful thinking and the uh, strong argument. And uh, that is most, most uh, worse crime than any other crime. You see what happened in China or in the United States in general, in mainstream, you know, the, the media and the public consuming is much worse than environmental problems. You know, people are not conscious about. They, of course, they worry about fish. They were worried about the temperature, but they really should worry about it is our human condition, our brain. You know, is that brain has been horribly uh, polluted, and how much uh, real thinking or how much meaningful uh, ideas belongs to you? Even you are, you could be graduate or poster or, or even professor or, or so-called leaders in thinking, but how much ideas are really come from you when you wake up in the morning, you wash your face, you're so clear, but you're just repeating those kind of, you know, garbage, rubbish all the time. So that kind of society, that kind of law or that kind of, uh, you know, uh, idea, it kills the world, kills the modern world. The modern, the modernity is totally being uh, uh, abandoned by that kind of thinking. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, climate here, uh, and you also mentioned influence, because I think a lot of these uh, systems are linked. You know, when I think about uh, mass surveillance and the controversy that resulted from it, we changed laws uh, in the United States. We changed uh, laws in Europe as a result of this reporting. Policies were changed and, you know, it's like, okay, great, great, great. But the system itself didn't really change meaningfully. The laws that were changed were small laws. They were made more to um, reassure people, to release some pressure against the system uh, than they were actually to stop the abuses that had happened. And along with the passage of these uh, sort of new um, light reform laws, uh, which should have been seen more as a beginning than an end of the reform process, this influence machine goes into action. As you say, you know, they put a couple, you know, CIA officials, NSA officials, White House officials on the media 
that explain, you know, why this is great and why everything's okay now, why it was never really a problem before. But anyway, just because we're so wonderful, um, we've changed the laws to make your life better. Um, and uh, a lot of people in media, they repeat this. They write the quote. They say, such and such said this. Um, and then it gets put out through political sort of partisan channels and reporting. Uh, it goes through the more like uh, press wire service reporting where they try not to take a position. They just say such and such said this, such and such said that. Um, and then people begin to take these statements that were reported as facts that were reported. And then it goes into, you know, the Facebook, Twitter stream where everybody's in open combat all the time. And they're just repeating things and distorting things to make it more of sort of a reality. And then we get to this world that we have today, we see so clearly now, that wasn't so clear then, uh, where people are pushing positions uh, using quotes and reporting and misreporting um, to try to create facts or create a reality that's not true, but it is popular. And we look at things like YouTube uh, and Facebook that decide, you know, what to show you next in this feed uh, that agrees with what you already think and, you know, uh, reinforce um, these uh, structures and realities. And eventually what we have is this influence machine. Um, and I very much think uh, this is responsible actually for climate inaction in a real way. Because when you look at the science, you know, a lot of people understand what's happening to the world, what's happening, the way things are changing. But again, we run into this system where a lot of people care about it, but they don't feel that anything can be done about it. Uh, and it's interesting because I think a majority of the media is actually backing things like climate reform. But there are factions within the media, uh, certain verticals like silos, um, <laughs> almost like generals for the troops of their population. Um, that are uh, giving them the quotes and the facts and the misreporting to say why you don't need to worry about it or why it's not reliable. And these influence machines, it's not just about climate. It's about every issue. It's about the election in the United States. It's about China. It's about America. It's about Russia. It's about Germany. It's about immigration. It's about anything that you think about. It's about technology and tech companies uh, that are constantly happening, even when we're asleep, because half the time it's run by machines. Um, to help you be certain of a world that's not really being proven or established, it's merely being talked about. Um, yeah. what, what's going on with that? And what should we do about that? <laughs> I, I think you really uh, put up a very, very uh, general situation here. Um, we are human being, uh, uh, a product of this mass uh, uh, popular ideas. You know, this is just like uh, in the supermarket. <laughs> you know, it, 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 you, you walk into it, you realize this, they have everything, but what you need is really a few, but very hard to find that view. But you, you really have ocean-like uh, choice. It's not that you don't have a choice. But the choice are made, then you realize <laughs> most products are made by the same company with just different names. You know, they, this, this is a tremendous imbalance by, uh, of the, the mass, uh, this kind of cooperative culture or capital cooperative authoritarian. 
or China you can call the state uh, or sorry, uh, uh, capitalism. You know, they have been so powerful. They are truly, truly very powerful. And this, the, 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 they, they established this kind of structure, which is, is so complicated. And uh, very a few people can, can really escape from that kind of net and the system are still alive, you know. Uh, it, it's very few can can be, you know. You always will be uh, uh, damaged by by that. That's that's why I think uh, the position of a uh, 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 real uh, thinking or or think, uh, thoughtful uh, um, people are very extremely rare because they rare is so so important. How do we develop that? How do we cultivate that kind of independent thinking when everybody's in the supermarket with a thousand choices that are trying to make you think you don't want something new, you don't want something that's already there, you just want something in a different part of the supermarket or something that's a different color? How do you find that original thought? In the history, you have some system like religion. You believe certain certain, uh, higher existing uh, order or truth. Now people has no religion, or basically, uh, uh, I I'm not, but I still believe there's initial, very very original way of appreciating life itself, and uh, you know enjoy the the very uh, normal situation. Because basically, if you look at the, in the city or you look at people's job, it's not so normal. You know, you can tell they spend their most important time in school. You know, the school really educates them to become a part of a system. Then they become part of a system. They have to survive in there and spend another two-thirds of the most important time trying to just build up their status or get become secured or to compare with their colleagues who get, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, all those things. That really damages you know, people and slaves the, our brain, our, our, our happiness, our courage, our imagination, or you know, all those things that have been destroyed. You know, it, it's very easy to be destroyed because there's so much uh, uh, temptations and so much warning everywhere. And, uh, and also nobody want to drop out from the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a high school dropout, so I've, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I, yeah, I also never finished my college, and uh, I just somehow naturally I feel there's something I don't want to uh, sacrifice for something else. You know, uh, where <laughs> um, you know it's very hard to say what is fortunate or what is unfortunate, but I am I I'm very clear we. We still uh, hold on and uh, of what we believe is right and what believes give us happiness and what we believe to make us to realize we are created by some higher nature made us uh, to you know to to be individual. That's most important. But everybody talk the individual. What is individual and? Uh, and another thing is, uh, I already talk about freedom. You will never have freedom you, if you don't fight. If you don't 
you know, the freedom only given to you as a rewarding by your sacrificing. So th this is, but of course, you cannot teach people about that. You know, they have to recognize what they have. You know, like a seed has to be buried underground to become a, uh, you know, plant or to, to have a, <laughs> you have to go through that whole thing. You're not just like most mainstream tell you, you become, you have freedom, you know, you are, that's, that's totally wrong. <laughs> it's not possible. Yeah, I think that it's very popular um, to tell a story that uh, everyone is, is so free, everything is so free. But the reality is uh, we have a great um, freedom of expression in a very small space. Um, you could do anything you want uh, between this line and this line. Um, but if you go beyond that, if you talk about something outside of that, if you say something that's a little bit unusual, um, now all of the constraints appear. Uh, those could be, uh, again, state constraints with um, the law and its punishments. Uh, those could be popular constraints from the community and its opinion, which nowadays it's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, we've all seen the, the sort of mob crowd effects uh, come over on the Internet where disfavored opinions even well-thought, well-grounded, well-argued opinions that contradict what is popular um, become attacked. Uh, and I, I think even journalists are very well aware of this. This is sort of uh, sweeping the media landscape today. Um, and then this comes down to this uh, bottom uh, issue that I, I think when you talk about freedom, you get back to. What does freedom mean? when people are so comfortable uh, that they don't want to do anything exceptional, that they don't want to do anything unusual, that they don't want to do anything unpopular. The only thing they want to do is what everything else, everyone else is doing uh, because it's great. They're in their nice couch, you know, even in a cheap apartment, even, you know, if they're not doing well economically, uh, there's so much entertainment um, that they can get by, they can ignore their problems, their family's problems, the world's problems, uh, <laughs> and other people um, who are paid to think about these problems, corporations and governments, um, they take advantage of this vacuum where everybody else is uh, kind of relaxing through the times, uh, sometimes because they're lazy, but I think more charitably, um, because they deal with problems and these unequal times uh, where they have very little and these powerful people have so much uh, that they need an escape. They need a way psychologically um, to make it to the next day and show up at their work, which could be very difficult. It could be very unrewarding uh, in order to keep on surviving. How do we, uh, how do you think through this challenge of, People who are, um, they maybe have power, but they don't realize they have power and they have no desire to use their power because they're so traumatized. They're just looking to escape, right? They're not looking for revolution. They're just looking to survive. Well, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think we all have potentials. That's uh, for sure. You know, we as scientific find out we, we even no matter how hard we try, we only use very small 
um, part of our brain or our potentials. But uh, it's very simple. It's like people would think, oh, they would make money, the money would put in the bank and, uh, you know, but the way they're spending their money very often, if you look at the pattern, it's not really uh, creates them something. It's just help them to, to accumulate more money and to keep the same lifestyle. So you are really about what you are spending on the next item, you know, not define who you are, you know, is when you economically or if but still in the in the human reality, we are all defined by our our act, you know, or on which side we are we are on, you know, just very simple, you know, just you don't have to do anything, but you have to be clear. I'm on this side or I'm on that side. Otherwise, you're you're just part of the whole darkness. You know, you 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 know the outside your window somebody is being killed or raped or you know lost their home, but you just you know close the window and uh, put a curtain on it. I mean, I'm, everybody knows it. This is happening. Come on, it's on streets right next to you or neighbor has something, but. Uh, in the West, basically, people are so used to this kind of comfort. And this kind of comfort basically come from the colonial time. You know, it can never be just that comfort. You were born, you never really know how things are grew up on the, on the field or how the animal become a meat in the supermarket. You know nothing about it. You just enjoy the dinner or barbecue. I mean, come on, this is, this is a, this is crazy. This, this is total corruption of a human mind in you know, a very corrupt society. And if that can be recognized, there's no future. It only leads us to problem after problem. Doesn't matter how many dozens of precedents you're changing, you're getting worse and worse because you basically lost the basic truth. You know, that's our life, our living are really, um, if we have any meaningful thinking, the truth is always need to be protected. That's why the journalism or so-called uh, investigative journalism are so crucial because that is the shine of this stone. Otherwise, you have you, you don't have that. You're too soft, uh, too much <laughs> round corners, and. Uh, it really lead you to a very a, a big disaster, you know, for human society. Uh, we see it's so common this, uh, uh, you know, mainstream uh, propaganda everywhere. You know, this is one of the interesting things um, in my experience with the reporting of 2013 on mass surveillance. Is uh, it had such a powerful effect, um, not just in the United States but around the world, because kind of destroyed a myth uh, that everybody believed, um, you know, some understanding we all thought we had. Uh, the idea that the government is listening to everything. Um, in a lot of countries in Russia and China, I, I think it's popular. Um, in places like the United States, uh, it was seen as like uh, a conspiracy theory, something, you know, your, your crazy uncle said. Um, now, we knew the government listened to some people and they had some capabilities. 
even in places like Russia and China, I think, you know, they, they know uh, the government's going after some troublemakers, some people they don't like, uh, even if they're just political activists or students. Um, but they had an understanding, or they thought they had an understanding of the limitations of it. They listen to a phone call, they intercept letters, they follow people on the street. But now there's this idea that the phone that you're not even using, it's just sitting in your pocket. It, you, you know, you're not looking at the screen, you're not using an app. That's connected to the cell phone tower. And the cell phone tower is recording that you were here at this time, and then you got on the train and you went to this place and you went to that place. Now there's this massive system of all of these technologies around us that are, even without human intervention, it just happens because of the way the system was built, instantaneously, automatically, always creating perfect records of private lives uh, as best they can. And I think to a lot of people that shattered uh, their understanding of how exposed they were, how vulnerable they were. And a lot of people, you know, they, they didn't have anything that they were personally afraid the police would come after them. But now they understand somebody knows this. You know, even if it's just the Facebook trying to sell you shoes. Um, and I think there's an interesting um, dynamic between this technology that's making life so difficult for all of us. Uh, it's uh, making us naked in so many ways to power, to those who hold power. And then on the other side, um, it's making life difficult for power in new ways. I mean, the fact that we are, you and I are having this conversation right now, way, way. Um, in previous generations, this would be impossible. The whole point of exile um, was a kind of social death sentence. It was to try to silence critics, right? Um, exile was allowed by authorities. People were allowed to go out, were forced out of the country, um, because then people wouldn't fight to the death. You know, you wouldn't have uh, revolutionaries with rifles in the mountains. Um, you'd force them out to Paris or something like that. And then, yeah, they'd be writing books, uh, but no one in China or the United States or whatever would actually be reading them. Um, they wouldn't be running for political office. They wouldn't be causing problems. But now, the same technology that is shaping our minds and our thoughts um, to limit us, to constrain us, is at the same time expanding our voices um, and allowing them to reach new places. Uh, and just, I wonder what you think about that, and do you feel that? I, I think basically we are clear in the human society that technology are being used by power, the authoritarian, all kinds of authoritarians, could be corporation, could be, you know, democratic government as, as well as the capital or capitalism or, or communist. They all have uh, interest in control. You know, you have they, the most important uh, uh, important uh, function of any government, the more powerful and the more uh, more interest about to maintain the power and to control to build the system. And uh, in China, it's very clear. Chairman Mao put it very clear. We 
we we maintain the garment with two burrows, gong burrow and the the, the pink burrow. You know, this only need two. Not like the West, you need a, <laughs> a more complicated structure. He said very clear. You know, you you just need a clear propaganda and uh, and you insist on it during my detention. I asked my interrogator, I said, do you really believe the young people born in the 80s, 90s would believe in your, what you're talking about is absolutely lie. He really is nice guy. He's thinking about it and hesitates then tell me, wait, wait, you're wrong. 90 more percent of people would believe in our lies. You know, this, you know, they made it very clear. They made it, you know, you cannot make that kind of argument. You are just consumed, even every individual are consumed by this huge machine, just like we are consuming chickens. You know, the, the factory produced chickens. I mean, and our human society, we are more and more become like that. You all go through the system, education, professional, and uh, your life, uh, they teach you what to like, what to look at, you know, what to entertain, and uh, what is your moral conditions about anything patriot, uh, patriotic or, or, you know, to be a lawful citizen or to be a good husband and wife and a son, and, you know, or go to good school. All those things, I will waste everybody because you're consumed by garment well designed not necessarily garment but main, you know uh, the whole society designed the channel you're just in that system so, so what what can journalists do uh, independent of journalists investigative journalists uh, both inside these systems uh, like in China where it's very dangerous um, to report on corruption or something like that. Uh, and also in countries where the threats aren't so direct, uh, but they are, they're not directed toward your safety, but they're directed towards your career. Um, what, what should journalists be doing? I think journalists are only two types. One type is uh, independent thinker. So he will not uh, uh, depend on a system. And the others are just reporters belong to big corporations, you know, state-owned or privately-owned. Sometimes privately-owned even worse than state-owned. Uh, you know, it's even less truthful because they have their own interests. So they are just, uh, they're just tools. You know, they cannot do much under, because they're highly paid or not highly paid, they just have to work with uh, somebody watching behind them. And the, you know, there's editors there. There's uh, also uh, there's so many, so many levels there. So it's not possible to make a real independent uh, thinking or not encouraged to do this kind of investigation because they just cannot assign you to that kind of project. And even you did a good job, maybe you cannot even publish very often. 10 mm -hmm. articles write, maybe one can be uh, published. So you are being discouraged to do anything which is deeper or 
or has different meaning with the mainstream uh, topic or, or conclusion. So this, this is almost, uh, you're part of it. You cannot do much. You know, you're on the boat and uh, you know, you, you can write smaller stories, but not talk deeper than that. That's what, what happened in the United States and Europe, basically. You cannot raise deeper questions it's not possible. You're, you're not going to be popular. Nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> but uh, even you're just independent, you're still very difficult. You know, what happens uh, recently, we see this uh, Glenn, you know, come out from his, uh, uh, he, he, you know, this kind of independent uh, media still, still mm -hmm. have this kind of struggle. You know, how far can you go, you know? <laughs> You, you always act like a betrayer. But so let, let me let me push back about this because this is an interesting one, and I, I like the disagreement here because, mm -hmm. from my perspective, you know, I'm one of these guys who was on the inside. I'm one of these guys who was discouraged from doing all these things. There were all these consequences. I didn't think you know I had any power to change these things. I talked to my supervisors. I talked to my bosses. I talked to my colleagues about what was going on. You know, does it bother you? Is it okay? You know, what should we do about it? And a lot of people inside, they were bothered by it. A lot of people knew it was wrong. A lot of people recognized government lies. But at the same time, it was the same thing that I felt we were all feeling socially, which is that nobody could do anything about it. And it's like you said about how you were looking at journalists today. You feel like they can't do much because the structures that they exist in but then you cite something like the case of Glenn Greenwald, where they leave the system, they become more independent. Um, and I think even the case of the reporting in 2013 that uh, I was the source for shows that they can do big stories. Maybe it's exceptional. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it breaks with what the organization wants. Uh, I worked with reporters um, from The Guardian uh, in the U.S. and U.K., um, The Washington Post, which is a big defender of the White House, um, Der Spiegel in Germany, um, eventually the New York Times got a piece of it, but that wasn't through me, um, and a, a lot of other groups, the New York Times uh, ran more pro-government reporting, interestingly, um, than, than critical reporting. But there's this idea, I think, for me, um, People look at me and what I did, and they talk about it, and they, they try to reduce it to he's a hero and did incredible things, or he's a traitor and did evil things. In either of these cases, they're trying to make me, uh, and not me as an individual, but me as a class of person, a type of person, into something exceptional, into something abnormal, either on the bad side or the good side. And I think the way you're arguing is trying to do the same thing with journalists, um, where you go, look, there's a whole lot of ordinary journalists, and then there's really bad propagandists for the government, uh, and then there's these really good, exceptional types of true, you know, crusading white knight on a white horse, uh, you know, Hollywood investigative journalists. And I think that's true to an extent, but I think it's too simple. Uh, and this is why I say I don't want people to call me a hero, because I don't believe in heroes. I'm not a perfect guy. I've done terrible things in life, and I don't know you very well, but I'd like to think uh, you probably have too, because you're human. 
and humans are imperfect and humans are flawed, right? What made me different wasn't who I am, but the choices that I make. And so I say there are heroic actions, there are heroic decisions, and nobody in this world is more than one decision away from making those decisions themselves. And so I think I wonder in the press, you know, if you were talking to somebody uh, who works at the New York Times or, you know, the, the People's Daily or something in China, um, yeah, we know the structures um, discourage them from doing certain things. But it, it's not what are they supposed to be doing, but what do you think they should be doing? Even if it is a revolutionary act, even if it is a heroic act, um, one of the things that I think is interesting about how we live today, the fact that we have this conversation today, is, you know, I can't really do anything <laughs> to fight the NSA uh, right now. You can't really do anything to fight the, you know, uh, Chinese authoritarian system uh, when you're far away. Besides being a symbol, besides showing people that you can fight and you can win, and then you can keep fighting new fights in new ways. Uh, and this is why I'd like you to look back at that again. Um, do you really see nothing the journalists can be doing uh, in the system, even if it's leaving the system? Uh, and if they do, you know, what? how do you imagine what are they not seeing that they could be seeing that maybe changes their life or their whole way of looking at their work and the way it's used? Well, I, I think uh, being an individual has this... Uh problem you can be powerful because you're individual but same times you're you're dropped out uh the society so that is the fact you know we are somehow all dropped out um because by choice and by also by not voluntarily you know we want to be involved to have a discussion you know to to have a real argument to give us a chance to be clearly, you know, I always want to say, give me a chance to, to have a full sentence. But uh, as long as you're part of a system, you're, you're, you're not going to have that power. So that's how many people want to drop out the system. You know, it's not, it's, uh, it's not a hero or not hero. hero. It's really, you have to make a decision. But I would say, Almost nobody wanted to to put themselves in a vulnerable situation, and uh, I think we are lucky we are living in this internet age. We still can have this kind of conversation. I can still, oh, whatever we said can be heard by people who want to hear, or but that's very limited. And also, even people <laughs> who want to hear, they first not necessarily agree. I even the agree about it. They, are, they would never really take the same action because, uh, you know, we, we, they, it's very too rare, the chance. You know, it's like lottery. It's too rare. You know, how can you just buy it? Yes, the, the, the possibility is there. You just need a dollar and a dream. But uh, <laughs> that dream can be very long. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's nice just go to the street corner corner to buy a coffee and enjoy sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I know how many difficult nights you're going through. You know, that's why you, your voice is so deep and, and <laughs> I, you know, you're so young and the whole, it's crazy, you know. It's, <laughs> it's crazy, but at the same time, it's right. And I think, you know, this is the thing for me. Um, people ask things like, you know, how, how do I sleep? You know, am I not worried? Am I whatever? Uh, I think if you can agree with the things that you do today, um, the funny thing is you don't have to work, worry about tomorrow uh, because it doesn't matter if tomorrow comes. You want to see tomorrow come. Who doesn't? You know, I, I want uh, to live for a very long time and, and have a very happy life. Um, but we're only as good, uh, I think, as our last choice. Um, in terms of how do we survive the moment and like keep going and keep moving forward because the process of corruption and the fight against corruption uh, I, I think is always it begins as an internal battle. I, I think about this as all my years working at the CIA and not saying anything against it. When I had questions, when I saw things that I disagreed with, going, as you said, uh, I'm a part of a system. I'm, I'm just a guy at a desk. It's not for me to decide here what is right and wrong. And then going to the NSA in higher and higher levels. Uh, but each of us in our lives, each of us in our work, uh, we're all parts of different systems. Whether we're talking agencies, institutions, news organizations, uh, or communities and, and societies. If we all engage in the same thinking, uh, it's not for me to decide what's right and wrong. We're letting other people make those decisions for us. And unfortunately, in our highly complex and highly organized society, it's a very small group uh, who get to decide what's right and wrong for all of us. And as you said uh, earlier, uh, they think the law is always on their side, right? Um, what's right is what's right for them. What's wrong is what's wrong for them. And we need to democratize that. We need to be wider about that. And I think this is one of the crucial roles that journalism has, is investigative journalism has in society, is when I talked before about the 2013 reporting um, <coughs> of mass surveillance, there's this distance between suspicion we all think the government is doing something or we all think some bad thing is happening, climate change. And the fact of something is happening, uh, the evidence, the documents, the recording, the proof, the science, um, and then convincing the world, uh, not forcing the world, but persuading the world, convincing the world uh, that it is correct. Um, and I think this actually is a noble task. The question is just, we have so many power structures, as you talked about, that are trying to hijack this process. We have, you know, that paint barrel of state propaganda that's trying to take this broadcast power, this mass communication, and force it to convince people of things, or persuade it to convince people of things, that are not true because it's right for them. But ultimately, every one of those writers, every one of those photographers, every one of those uh, you know, authors, thinkers, uh, even every one of those people who's just on the couch at home watching TV, uh, they all have to have something that they're thinking. They're all individuals, they all have a voice. 
Um, and for me, the question is, like with the change in my life, like the change in your life, whether it comes from your story and the things that you saw as a child, uh, your parents and your experiences, um, or whether it's what you witnessed that you're not an extraordinary person, that you don't have an extraordinary background. But as you said, there's something happening outside, some crime. And you didn't close the curtains. Uh, but instead, you went outside and you picked up a camera. People can change things. Maybe they can't fight the whole system. Maybe they can't bring it down, as you said, particularly not alone. Because as individuals, we're, we're weak, we're exposed, we're vulnerable. But one person with a camera, one person with a pencil, you know, um, they can convince other people. And that's how every revolution begins. That's why every, you know, um, authoritarian system is afraid of the students. The students are poor. They don't have anything. They have uh, nothing but passion and connection because there's many of them around. Um, where do you see the next revolution beginning, both politically, globally, and also, I would say, the revolution in journalism. Because it seems to me this system that we have today, uh, it seems very stable, but I don't think it actually is. I think everyone is suspicious of the way that it functions at scale. And as you said, whether it's uh, these journalists leaving to begin their new outlets, um, we're seeing people try for something uh more independent, uh, more honest, uh, or more, um, I guess, uh, genuine. Um, it's what they truly believe. It's not edited in the same way for good and bad. Um, but it's more um, authentic. People are looking, I think, today for that authenticity because they can feel the sameness, the repetition, as you said, people repeating the same words that they've heard somewhere else. And even if it's not said beautifully, or even if it's not said correctly, people recognize authenticity today, um, that original genuine feeling. And I think they're searching for it because they're looking for that in themselves. Uh, so back, back to the actual question, um, just where do you see these structures that seem so stable today changing in, say, 10 years? First, I think uh, you and me act more like a priest. <laughs> you know, we are talking about a very common right or wrong, goodness or, or, or evil. You know, those are so common. That doesn't really take a profound thinking or, you know, it's, it's so common. Everybody can understand. Everybody would agree with or say, yeah, you know, but to, to really, I, I totally agree with you. We are living in a very fragile uh, political condition in as a human uh, development. You know, we have uh, so much uncontrollable uh, crisis uh, could happen any moment, just like a pandemic, you know, it's still not over, but it uh, could be much more and much uh, frequent. And uh, as uh, the place you are in, you know, Vladimir Yulich Lenin once said, you cannot organize a revolution. Revolution comes 
when the the sensor ready. You know, so I don't think the situation is really bad enough. It's quite quite bad, but still, I you know people uh you know the light in the in the morning are gradually become bright. So it takes time. You know, uh, after the industrial revolution, you know the the establishment of the the more civilized the world, uh, it's only you know. Become a extreme capitalism. Uh, it's uh, it's still developing. You know, we we all see the, the the almost the end of it. You know, because we see so many things which they just cannot really uh, solve those problems. But still, we see in general people still avoid to talk about to have a, a, a some kind of morally philosophically fundamental discussions. Rather than just try to fix it, you know, these uh, talk about uh, <laughs> you know minority discrimination or police brutality or you know those 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 things are just symptoms. It's not the real problem. We all know it, but nobody want to talk about it. As long nobody talk about it, then there's no solution, because simply there's no problem. You know this kind of this kind of common understanding about there's no no problems there are really biggest problem, and of course very a few people uh, they all know there's a snake, but it's very <laughs> different to see snake is under your table, you know. That what if, <laughs> you know we all have knowledge about a snake somewhere you know, but when you see. Yeah. I think sometimes we do have to wait till you people jump. get bitten. Yes, yes, you <laughs> yeah. have to wait for people to jump. So yeah, that's that's what I feel. So this is uh, an interesting thing. A lot of what you've said um, today is very, I think, uh, realistic. You know, you look at the problems of the world and you see the difficulties with people acting, and uh, you realize we talked about the comfortableness of life. Um, until people become uncomfortable, it will be really difficult to get them to change uh, in a meaningful way at scale. Um, this sort of gets us back to the topic of like elections and the way things are today. Um, and, uh, you know, now we see Donald Trump likely leaving office. And so many people in media and elsewhere are going, oh, hooray, hooray, everything's better. You know, uh, life is fixed. But they seem to forget that Donald Trump was a reaction to the system in place before him. Um, and what we see with this election is actually just a return to the system that yeah. produced Donald Trump, not a new solution. This is uh, literally as close to a direct return as in American politics is, is possible. Um, and so our problems are actually likely unresolved and likely to return in the future. Uh, and one of the things that surprises, I think, a lot of um, people when they, they talk to me is they say I'm idealistic. I'm hopeful for someone who's, you know, faced the consequences that I have. Uh, how can I be so bright and, like, happy about what tomorrow looks like, knowing, as I know, how powerful these systems are, these technologies are, how intrusive they will become, uh, and just how great the challenges are that we'll face tomorrow. 
Um, and for me, the answer is, as long as these systems are designed by humans, um, they'll be directed by humans. And the one bright, beautiful thing uh, about the political connection to technology is that the political people who direct a technology in the way it's used, they can't build it. They don't understand it. They're not technologists. They're politicians. And so they have to use other people. They have to, you know, order engineers, build this, do this, whatever. And many of those people are young. And when I talk to different audiences around the world, the one thing that I see is that the younger a person is, the more willing they are to depart from the system as it exists, the more willing they are to try something new, the more willing they are not to um, engage in the kind of reflexive analysis that a lot of us do, where they go, oh, that's crazy, or that's wrong, or that's dumb, but just to try something new. And sometimes that thing that's new is saying no, right? Um, so I would ask you, what is it when you look at all the problems of the world, uh, that keeps you from becoming pessimistic? What is it that gives you hope about what things will look like in 10 years instead of just making you go, oh man, we've, we've got problems? I think uh, that one thing is you, you have to know human nature. I always think we, we have to trust human nature because we have no other choice. We are human, you know, we are not cats or dogs, we are human. So we have this uh, amazing brain and our, and our, our think about moral issues is very human, you know, and to, to have a perspective, a perspective about the universe, about other lifestyle, religions. So we are, we really have a brain, you know, we really can, make some kind of adjustment. And uh, very often those brain are not functional because uh, the education and the brainwash and the control and the, you know, uh, they use all kinds of tactics or, or we, are, we are very corrupted. I think it's not only government corrupted, more corrupted as an individual and uh, more, more bureaucrats in our daily behaving or, you know, we, we just, uh, take it, uh, you know, it's just like garment is part of us, you know, it's just like Huang Hui is a part of the previous uh, uh, political effort, you know, the, you know, is Trump cannot just jump out. It's not possible. And the next one also would be continuity of this uh, uh, long lasting political structure. So, but it comes back to individual. As individual, you know, we are just like a grass or, or a plant. We are different, and that is enough to 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 tell the universal truth. You know, we are we have a rightful to to grow to fulfill our our imagination and our judgment and to to create our own language. That's most important to to have your own language. Otherwise, you're not an individual. You think you're individual, but you never exist before you create your own language. This is maybe talk too much, but that's true. You know, unfortunately, that's true. So, yeah. Well, I'd like to say thank you. Um, we should probably stop so we don't put the audience to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wonder this. why they never <laughs> signal. <laughs> yeah, they don't say stop. Uh, 
But really, it's been a, a great pleasure to um, oh, speak with oh, you. Wonderful. And, uh, and I, I've got to say, please keep fighting and stay free. Yes, I to you, I I think just be healthy, be safe. I want to see you, see your your, your <laughs> yeah. son or daughter and your family. I you know you have a long time to go, and uh, you're you know in the very dark sky. I always want to see a shooting star, but uh, I I don't have that luck. I never see a shooting star, <laughs> but uh, you're the shooting star, and you're not going to disappear. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much.